Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning. It's a real pleasure to be here. And actually, it was uh, a real uh, warmth to my heart to actually see some of my friends here who have come from my church family in, in Hong Kong. So Ben and Charlotte have come with their family. Yeah, it's a real blessing. I had no idea. They just walked in. And what a blessing that is. So they've just moved here. So please, everybody, get to know them. Welcome them here. Welcome them into our, you know, our community and our family. Well, so yeah, the Summer in the Psalms, that is the series that we're in. And I would say that the Psalms are like summer sunshine. You know, they bring warmth and joy and lift up the spirit. And today I'm going to be talking about Psalm 1, um, which I have to say, I have to caveat what I'm going to share about because it's a bit more like a British summer, as you've experienced this morning. So it's not all sunshine and rainbows, all right? So strap yourselves in. Now, I bet you're all eager right, to delve right into the riches of God's Word. However, for those of you that were on the weekend away, I um, had the pleasure of going to a workshop, which was on um, Bible teaching and, and studying, and it was led by none other than, than Phil Sittlesing, who's sitting right here, the maestro. But one thing I learned from that was context. So um, what I, whatever verse you're reading, whatever passage, um, whatever chapter in the Bible, it's good to bring context, read around it to understand it. It unlocks and adds value. So I've actually taken that on a very macro scale, and I've looked at actually like all the books before it. Now, not into a huge amount of detail. We're not going to go into that detail. But I said, okay, what precedes the Psalms? So if you can have the next slide, please. So the Psalms are part of the Old Testament, which is known as the Tanakh in the Jewish tradition. And before the Psalms, you find other books, and these are grouped into the Torah, the first five books um, associated with the law, and then you have the Nevim, which is associated with the prophets. So why do I, and then you have the Ketuvim, which is um, where the Psalms fall under. So why, why do I bring that context into play here? Well, I think it's good to understand the books and what is being said previously before we get to the Psalms. So. Previously, what has been said is it's very factually written. You know, it's a lot of history. It's all about God's power and authority, how he's moving in great miracles. You know, how he's moving and helping the Israelites, his people, in great battles. How he's moving in great people like Moses, how he's laying down the law. Um, yet, all of a sudden, you get to the Psalms, and it's like a complete switch. It no longer is about, you know, historical facts. It's no longer written like that but it's actually looking more inward. It's about the human heart. So I would say that the Psalms are an expression of the human's heart desire to be in relationship with God. So it elaborates on the riches of God, his character. And we ourselves, I think we have to, have to change that mindset of moving away from our mind and more towards our heart. So we're going to explore some of the poetic, heartfelt expressions of God's awesomeness and love in this psalm today, and hopefully in the more psalms to come in the, in the couple of weeks. 
So change your gears, think less about your heart, I mean more about your heart, less about your mind. Get that into gear as, as we unlock the psalm. So let's, let's read Psalm 1 together. It is written, uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Wow, so here we go. We start the Psalms with this, and it points straight towards righteousness. It describes how one can become righteous through keeping in step with the law, and indeed the riches of righteousness. What's that bring in comparison to wickedness? Now, as a massive spoiler alert, um, if we put on our context lenses, see what I did there? Love it. Love this. Love puns. Um, the <laughs> righteousness in the New Testament is all embodied in the selfless sacrifice of what Jesus did. You know, this sacrifice brings us into relationship with the Trinity, so with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and we are made righteous simply by believing in Him and following Jesus. So just bear that in mind as we go forward. It's not necessarily about keeping in step with the law, all right? So how do we navigate this world day in and day out and stay in relationship with Jesus? The answer is, and I want to touch on this today, is, is certainly challenging for us, I think, in our day-to-day -day life. And we'll be looking at the human heart in this context um, in Psalm 1 and focusing mostly on the first three verses. So next slide, please. And the way that I'm going to do so is segment it into three themes. And these are th themes that we should probably assess and action you know, on a daily basis. And these themes are, in accordance with your heart, to guard to govern, and to grow. In order to illustrate this, however, I will need the help of my trusty sidekick. How's the soup? Excuse me? If you could go to the next slide, really, that'd be great. Um, so, does anyone know what we just watched? Does anyone know where it comes from? Huh? You are absolutely correct. 100 points for Elias. So, this actually comes from the 1989 classic, Batman, in which you have, you have Bruce Wayne sitting on one side and Vicky Vale sitting on the other. And you ask myself, well... What, what, what has this got to do with? Well, the fact is that they're sitting in a giant room across a long table opposite each other, very, very far away. Impossible to hear one another. It's difficult. 
And it's awkward, as you've just seen. So why do I talk about this? Well, I'm not going to spend the rest of my time talking about Batman, although I really could um, for hours and hours. But it's really focusing on the table. So I want to bring out the table. Um, and just imagine it's yourself sitting at one end, and you've got Jesus seated at the other. So I ask you the question now. Who else is sitting at your table? You have the next slide, please. So to guard... So we go back to Psalm 1. The scene is set in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. This is the NIV translation. And what is said in the message, it says, How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. You don't slink along Dead End Road. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. I think the, uh, the message is quite clear here. So what does your table look like? Is it a sin saloon or is it a heavenly place? We'll go on to the next slide. So here we find ourselves, the scene is set. We have the table, we have you at one end and Jesus at the other. So if you click again, really. These are the first guests at your table. Who are these guests? Well, you've got like money, you've got prayer, You've got sex, you've got worship, you've got scripture, alcohol, power. There's a plethora of different guests that you've got seated at your table. And I think we can all relate to, personally, or either from the world that we live in, a lot of these. The concept here is that we have a choice who we sit with. You know, who is positioned around us. You know, who eats with us, who fills us up. So I ask again. Who is sitting at your table? Now, I don't know if any of you have read the, um, the book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. It's a fantastic book. Definitely recommend you to go and read it. But as a short synopsis, essentially there are two demons, one called Screwtape screw and the other one called Wormwood. And Screwtape is the more experienced demon. And the book is about a series of letters writing to his nephew, Wormwood, about how, about all the different sort of tips and tricks of, of uh, steering people away from God. Now, it is somewhat comedic, however, it does illustrate a sort of scary depiction of how the enemy is at work in our daily lives. So there's no denying that we face a battle, a battle of our heart. There's no doubt about it. So we have to guard, we have to guard our heart. Now, to give an illustration, when I was at university, I, it was really the moment when I sort of gave my life wholly and solely towards Jesus and wanted to, to really follow him outright. So previously, I had on my gap year been to uh, Australia, where um, I had gone to Hillsong when I was there for, for my time. So I, I really felt like pumped up. I really felt ready to go. I thought, okay, I'm on fire for the Lord. Here we go. I'm going to go into my first year at university and uh, have that as my foundation. However, I obviously went with the university with a desire to make friends, have fun, learn. But I didn't do so in a way that guarded my heart. You know, I started, I didn't do so in a way that I, I pumped myself all into, into the scriptures and wanting to know others that, that knew Jesus, but I, I, I spent more time with those who didn't know Jesus and didn't talk to them about it, but started drinking loads and going out loads and then just got further and further away. Now, it took me actually to a real low point that I, 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 
sort of realized that that foundation was not solid. It wasn't at all. It just fell away from underneath me. Um, and I just cried out to Jesus, and I needed him in my life. Never since then, you know, what a life he has given me. Now, guarding your heart doesn't mean cutting yourself off necessarily from hiding, you know, from the world. You know, Jesus guarded his heart. Now, he didn't start his mission until he was 30 years old. But before he did that, he, one, knew his identity as a son of God, as the son of God, and he knew that to his core. And he was so grounded. And two, he really knew his scripture. Like, he really did. And you can, you can see that in full works when he's tempted in the desert. So if I had these two principles, if I had these two embedded in me when I went to university, my, the people seated at my table in my heart would have looked very different. So again, I ask you, who is sitting at your table? In the next slide. To govern. Now verse 2 says, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Now we've established that we need to externally guard our hearts from the experience um, of the world around ourselves, you know, making wise choices, but we make wise choices on knowing our own hearts. Now the question, another question, so many questions for you. Do you know your own heart? You know, what motivates you, what drives you? Verse 2 suggests that it is delighting in the law of the Lord. You know, it's meditating on it day and night. Do we do that? Do I do that? Do you do that? Why is it important to meditate on the law, on, on the word, on the love of the Lord Jesus? Because it is the living water to our hearts, and it helps us to govern. But let me unpack that a little bit. What do I mean about governing one's heart? Now, Jesus alludes to this in Luke chapter 6. It, it, it states, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Next slide, please. So, again, we find ourselves at the table, and we need to introduce some more guests, some more guests associated with goodness and badness. So we've got guests like love, like jealousy, envy, generosity, fear, greed, and hope. What do we meditate on? Which one of these influences us or drives us in any given situation to do various different actions? Now, I'd be the first one to hold up my hand and say that there's definitely a push and pull on, on some of these in my own heart. You know, to illustrate this in an example, if I, take, if I talk about fear, um, a big challenge of mine in, in, in terms of my heart and my mind is a, is a fear of rejection. So it can sometimes overwhelm me and lead me to think, oh, I'm not worthy. Uh, in terms of the lies I'm believing, I'm not accepted for who I am. I have no value. Nobody likes me. Now, this can lead me to act on them by literally pushing others away. Or perhaps turn towards other things to, like, just take my mind off it. You know, things that are not good for me. 
So for any of us, whether it's fear or whether it's any, any of these others that you struggle with, you know, this can lead us to, to let our guard down in our heart and we can turn towards things like money or drink or sex or drugs or power and it just pollutes us even further, sending us further and further away from God. Another more subtler example might be if you take this, if you're sitting in a group of, of people and you're having a conversation, the conversation is focused around gossip, uh, gossip negatively about some other individual. If you take my example for it, and, and you said, well, if I have a fear of rejection, all I want to do is fit in in this situation. I want to have value. And so I might just join in, join in with, in, in the gossip. But obviously that's not what I should be doing. So what I'm pointing at in these examples is that we all have to assess our hearts um, and govern them almost moment to moment. So I ask you, how is your heart? The reason I do that is I actually have a fantastic friend and his name is Dwayne. And uh, he has this catchphrase that he'll always ask me from time to time. He'll come up to me and go, Paul, how is your heart? Now, apart from that being extremely awkward in the first instance and a little bit, you know, forward, I mean, it is so necessary. It takes you aback, you know, but it's so necessary. And to use another very valid and cheesy phrase, you have to go to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. You know, how can we better govern our hearts? Well, actually, we can do exactly what Elias had said from last week in his sermon looking at Psalm 27. Elias talked about seeking, declaring, and resting. So number one, seeking. Seek Jesus. Seek God. Seek the Holy Spirit through prayer and scripture and worship. Number two, declaring. Declare truths upon yourself like, I am a child of God. You know, an example before, if I'm suffering from like a fear of rejection, for example, I can declare truths like what's in 1 John chapter 3, which is saying, I am a child of God. I can wake up in the morning. We can all wake up in the morning. And the first thing we say is, I am a child of God. You can say it out loud if you want, to the detriment or the enjoyment of your housemates or your neighbors. But what I'm trying to point out is that there is a battle going on at the table in our heart. Because, guys, there are, so many, there are only so many seats that are around this table. You can only fit so much around there. So where there is hope might be seated there currently at the moment. Despair is just behind him or her. And is standing there ready and eager to take the seat. So lastly, number three, rest. Rest in those truths. You know, let them saturate you, completely saturate your hearts, because then it becomes a firm, firm foundation. And then it lets you govern your hearts towards righteousness, towards goodness, compassion, and love. There we go on the next slide. So, to, to grow. So if we guard, if, if we govern our hearts, inviting Jesus to actually come and sit next to us, or, or Jesus himself will come and sit next to us sometimes, then we will ultimately grow more if he's always there. And we will grow more into the person like is described in verse 3. It says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
In the context of our lives, what does this look like? Well, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but sometimes people come, come up to you and, and they're, they're just really drawn towards you. They can't place their finger on it. It might be just the way that you talk or the way that you, you act, but they can see it's almost like their hearts are, are, are crying out and they're like, oh, I know there's something that's different about this. Well, what's, what's attractive about this person? You know, what is, what is it? They want to lean in and know more. Well, it's the fact that we're set apart. We are, but that is a choice. You know, Jesus sat with sinners, but he did so and he conversed truth to them. To others, he prayed for them. To others, he healed them. To others, he challenged them. To others, he acted with compassion, with love, and ultimately with sacrifice. These are examples of the fruits of growth. And you will be astounded as to how if you just press in hard, real hard, um, towards the Lord, you will not lose a life, but you will gain one. And it will be more than you could have ever imagined. But these great qualities, you know, of a Christian that I'm talking about, they aren't a given. No, not at all. You will see in the verse that the tree is situated by streams of water, living water. You know, it is when we get close to that living water, close to Jesus, and we allow him and his words to govern and grow us, that we will become rich in fruit and attractive to all the birds to come and roost in. You know? Jesus died so that our hearts could be washed clean. <laughs> and he gave the Holy Spirit to us so that we can remain in him and be challenged and also grow. So another beautiful illustration of this ahead of Jesus' time is in, found in Ezekiel um, 36, verse 26. So if you go on to the next slide, please. It's, it's written, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, what you can see on, this, on the slide here is a, is a prophetic picture that I got um, and that I drew. Um, and what basically is depicted here is a heart that is alone in the desert. And um, this desert is obviously a very harsh environment and the, and the heart is, is, is hardened. It's like stone. Then comes uh, drops from heaven, and they drop onto the heart continuously, transforming it from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Then as, this, as the heart becomes saturated, water flows out of it. And wherever water flows, life grows. So you've got vegetation, green vegetation, shrubs growing all over. Now, we are obviously the hearts in this harsh environment much like the world that uh, we live in. But yet when we taste the waters, when we taste Jesus, that living water in our hearts, you know, it's transformed. Comes more flesh-like, stays more flesh-like, compassionate and loving. So he can flow right through us. And then he uses us and he brings life wherever we go. So as the band come up, I'm going to ask you again, who is sitting at your table? Is there perhaps despair seated where hope needs to come in? Is there perhaps addiction seated where freedom is just waiting to replace it? 
Have you let comparison perhaps come and sit right next to you and whisper in your ear? When actually you should just get up and move towards gratitude because he's a much better person to sit next to. Where do you find yourself at the table? Are you seated far from Jesus? Are there lies that you are believing or you feel captive to? Maybe you feel that your heart is a, is, is a bit hard at the moment. It's unfulfilled and it's seeking life. Well, Jesus is your living water. He is your God. He is your truth, your friend, and he loves you. Now, there's, um, there's nothing special about this place here at the front. And I would welcome anyone and everyone to come down here and receive prayer. If your heart is beating fast, that's a good thing. It's a sign. And you're so welcome to come down here because Jesus just wants to be in relationship with you. For the rest of you, let's lift up our hearts with thanks and praise and give them to the Lord. And let's uh, support our brothers and sisters as they come down to the front and, and pray for them. If you see them there's a need anyone come and pray so I invite you now Amen. thank you for listening to this week's podcast tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our vineyard 61 speakers